Hello, everybody. Good to be back. Uh, ready to share God's word with you. I hope you're doing well. I hope you're staying safe. And I hope you're experiencing God's joy, peace, and blessing. Um, you know, it's been, well, I was out two Sundays. We had Randy Shepard cover for me and bring us an evangelistic type message. And then uh, David Doolittle covered for me last week while I was ill with COVID, as you know. And um, I'm appreciative for the two of them, as well as Omar Carrillo, who covered for me in the Spanish service. But I'm really excited to be back. And what I want to do today is I want to continue where we left off with our series called Biblical Discipleship. Today, we're going to do the fourth installment of that five-part series. Today's message is entitled, The Commitment of Discipleship. We're going to do a little review because I know it's been a while, um, and, um, but I'm grateful For me, this is the first time I get to preach God's Word in this 2021 New Year. So I hope you're excited, I hope you're ready, and I pray, as always, that the Lord will use me and that His Holy Spirit would speak through me and teach you and me. All right, why don't we start with the word of prayer. Gracious Father, thank you for allowing us this time to gather around your Word and continue to discuss this topic of biblical discipleship. So important. Lead us, guide us, teach us, mold us, transform us, Father, for your glory. We ask for your blessing uh, for this time and for everyone who's, who's watching online. We thank you. We praise you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, so let's get started with... Um, the commitment of discipleship. And what I want to do is, uh, this message is going to be based off of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. We're going to use two verses, and we're only going to have two points today. That's right, only two points. Because I'm, what I would like to do is make this message a very practical message. And so towards the end, I'm going to have seven things that, as disciples of Jesus Christ, we need to be committed. Or what does our commitment look like? If I was to, to show someone that I am committed to following Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, what would be my proof? And, and better yet, perhaps for us, it's what, what do I need to look at? What do I need to evaluate? What aspects of my life do I need to make sure that I'm engaged in with the Lord? So I hope you're blessed by it. It's been a blessing for me preparing this message. And um, I do have a verse that I want to share with you as a key verse uh, this Sunday morning, and that is um, Philippians 1.21. Philippians 1.21, I think, describes biblical discipleship or commitment to biblical discipleship more than anything else. There's a lot of good verses that we could use and a lot of good passages, but uh, Philippians 1.21, this is Paul speaking, and listen to what he says, and keep in mind, commitment to biblical discipleship. He says, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. That simple. Short verse, Philippians 1.21. For to me, Paul says, to live is Christ. That's it. His life revolved around Christ. And for him to pass from this life, to die, would be gain. What an incredible uh, perspective to have. And it's written there for our admonition as an example for us. And Paul himself says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And so this would be something wonderful for us to be able to imitate Paul in. 
that we would be able to say to me, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Oh, beloved, I hope you're ready. The main point this morning is as follows. As disciples of Jesus Christ, living for God's glory demands a total commitment to Him. As disciples of Jesus Christ, there's only one way to really glorify Him while we're here on earth, and that is to be totally committed to Him. Now, I want to talk about this in my introduction, and we're pretty much there, so I'll I know that sometimes commitment can be a very scary word. You know, committing to, uh, let's say, one person for the rest of your life. I know there's a lot of fear of commitment. You know, people uh, being in fear to commit to somebody else. Um, and so they don't want to get married. That's just one example. But often, too, when uh, looking for volunteers at church, you know, hey, would you like to help us with this? And usually the answer that I get is, well, you know what? Put me like on the on the B list and, and I'll come whenever somebody else isn't able to come. But, you know, I don't know about committing to that. Beloved, we got to stop that. We have to stop that half-hearted attitude towards the Lord. And I say that for myself, certainly. But that has to stop. If we are to glorify God with our lives, we need to be fully and completely committed to Jesus Christ and being His disciples. And, you know, we can't talk about perfection. Perfection is the standard. But I don't know anybody perfect. I don't know anybody who's following the Lord perfectly. And that certainly includes myself. And so... I don't want anybody to hear a message like this and dismiss it because you feel like, well, I could never reach that or I could never do that or I could never be a disciple of Christ to that extent. Beloved, Philippians 4.13 is where where it applies. This is where Philippians 4.13 applies, where Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. As long as you are depending on yourself, yeah, you're not going to do much. The Lord says, if you abide in me and you remain in me, you will bear much fruit, but without me, you can do nothing. I love it. So as disciples of Jesus Christ, living for God's glory demands a total commitment to Him. As a former review, I want to share with you. Biblical discipleship is about as important a series as I believe I'll ever preach on or teach on. Because biblical discipleship is our calling. That is what Jesus wants us to be, disciples of His. And we look to the Bible to see what a disciple looks like, what it is. And so what we did about two months ago when we started this series called Biblical Discipleship, the first uh, message was on the case for discipleship. Like, like, why should we care about biblical discipleship? And the three points for that was that biblical discipleship is God's plan. That Christ is our example. He had His 12 disciples. And it's the church's purpose. That is what we are here for, to make, to develop, to reach new people and develop new disciples for Jesus Christ. And as we're doing that, we ourselves as Christians and disciples of Jesus Christ are also growing in maturity to be more like Christ. So the case for discipleship. And then the second message was the call to discipleship. And we talked about how that call to discipleship is initiated by God. It is intended for bearing fruit, and it is identified by love 
for Christians. We followed that with the cost of discipleship. And we said that the cost of discipleship was expensive, very costly. We said that it should be examined. We don't jump into it, but we examine the cost to make sure that we're going to commit to Christ. And then we also said that that the cost of discipleship is God-exalting because when we choose to follow Christ and, and surrender our lives to Him, we recognize His worthiness and thus we are exalting Him. We are giving Him the ultimate value. So the case, the call, the cost, and today we're going to talk about the commitment. And like I said, we're going to try to be super practical. So at the end of this message, I hope that you have a list in front of you that you can use as a guide to say, I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, biblically, the way the Bible says I should. And then you're able to look at these points and say, "Um, I'm doing great here. I'm lacking there. This part is non-existing in my life. And then we can start working towards that. And all of us have lots of work to do. Commitment talks about the resolve to or the pledge towards something in the present and in the future. That's that's why commitment is tricky. It's not just somebody saying, would you commit to me right now? Would you do this for me right now? Would you be this for me right now? But it's saying, would you commit to me means in the future before. When, when we don't yet know the circumstances that are ahead, without knowing the future, we're saying, no matter what, I commit to this mission, I commit to this purpose, I commit to whatever. In our case, we are saying, I commit my life and my everything to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, no matter what. And that is what's scary, right? So when I ask people if they're interested in helping in this ministry or that ministry, and then they start saying, you know, they start thinking, as we all do, and and then we we think, well, what if I can't make it because this comes up? Or what if my job changes? What if I have an offer for something else? And what if this comes up? And what if, you know, I just don't know. I don't know that I can commit. And beloved, I will submit to you that the only reason we're like that, we're hesitant to committing for Christ, is because we haven't yet learned who He is. And we don't have a proper understanding of His value and His worthiness. But we have to work towards that. We have to get to the point where as we know Him more and more, as He says, come and taste that the Lord is good. And the more we taste, the more we know Him, the more we experience Him, the more we realize there's nothing that compares to him, and, and that is what allows us to exercise faith and, and to take steps of faith and to be committed and say, I don't care what happens in the future. My commitment and my loyalty and my devotion and my pledge is to him no matter what. That's when it stops being scary, when our priorities are straight and we are heavenly minded and we are Christ minded that we're able to commit to him. If you struggle with committing to Him, or if you've never committed your life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, if you've never surrendered and said, you be the Lord of my life, you're missing out. And my, my, you know, what I would desire most for anyone who's listening to this message or watching this or listening to it is that you would come to the point where you realize 
your unworthiness and your need, your brokenness, and you realize that Jesus Christ, out of love, gave himself for you so that you would know him and experience a relationship with him. And in doing that, as a result, you will find yourself wanting to devote your life and yourself and everything about you to him. And that is what's so exciting. That is the Christian life. No, none of us are there yet. We're all moving towards that. And part of the purpose of the church, part of the purpose of tuning in to a message like this is to be edified and encouraged and taught so that we could all move towards that. We don't want to get stuck. We don't want to be mediocre Christians. And we don't want to live a life for which we're not even sure, based on what our life looks like, whether we are in the faith or not. Paul says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith or not. Beloved, you should not be living in doubt whether you're a child of God. Your life should prove that you are a child of God. And your devotion and your commitment towards Him is very indicative of where you're at. And so that's the challenge. That's the motivation. That is the encouragement for us to listen to a message like this and be encouraged to follow Him and to really assess our lives and see what is my life about and where should it be and how do I get there? All right. I think that's a great way to start the year, any year. We all know about commitment, right? I, I think all of us know about commitment. I think about, uh, you know, maybe students that never miss. I'm always, uh, and we have some of those in our church that never missed one day of school. I was not that. Uh, but, you know, that's a commitment to never miss a day of school. Let's say all your elementary years and then your intermediate years and your high school years. I think there's several people that I know that are like that. Never missed one day of school for 12 or even 13 years. You know what that is? That is commitment. Beloved, I remember playing sports in high school, and my commitment was unfortunately not quite in the academics, but more so in the sports. I remember missing days at school because I was sick, and I was really sick, but I would go to practice. I, I just enjoyed it, and I can truly tell you that even though when I was sick, I would feel better when I was out in the basketball court or the volleyball court. You know what that is? That is commitment. And all of us, I would say, are committed either to one thing or various things. So we all know about commitment, but our fallen heart will often betray us. And we will find ourselves, even as Christians, we will find ourselves often times committed to things that are not Christ. And that's where the problem lies. Our heart is divided. And Jesus said, you cannot have two masters. You're either going to love one and despise the other. You're going to serve one and forget about the other. You can't have two masters, let alone three, four, or five. Who is your master? What are you committed to? I hope you really give this some thought. You should know that God is completely committed to you. God is completely committed to His purposes, and in those purposes, you and I find ourselves there. It's incredible and it's wonderful. It's humbling. He's completely committed to us. He has held nothing back from us. Romans 8.32 says that he who did not spare his own son, 
but delivered him for us all. How will he not, together with him, give us all things? God already gave everything and the most valuable for you and for me. He has held nothing back. And let me say, that is one of Satan's greatest um, ploys. To make you doubt that God loves you. To cast doubt and make you think that maybe he's forgotten about you. Or he really isn't that good. That's Satan speaking to you. You've got to cast those thoughts out. You've got to rebuke those in the, in the name of Christ and the blood of the, of the Lamb and the cross. And stick to God's word. And when those doubts come around, you get rid of those. And you don't allow them to fester in your mind. Very, very important. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He has held nothing back for you. And he never will. As long as we are in Christ. 2 Timothy 2.13 says that if we are faithless, check this out, if we are faithless, and guess what? We will be. Our faith will fail us. But even if we are faithless, He, God, remains faithful. He cannot deny Himself. That is the God that we have, and He is fully committed to you in Christ. All right. Boy, you're getting me started right here. Let me look at the clock. That is the Introduction, beloved. You guys ready for the message now? Um, let me read Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. A little bit of background here. Moses writes this. He wrote the first five books of the Bible, of the law, the Pentateuch. And he's writing what God has told him to teach the nation of Israel right after he has pulled them out of Egypt in preparation to enter into the promised land. And so this is known as a Shema. And I believe that though this was given to Israel some 3,300 years ago, the principles of what God is requiring of His people are throughout the entire Bible. And so we're able to take a portion from the Old Testament and take those principles and apply them to us as followers of Jesus Christ. So listen to what he says. He says, Hear, O Israel, listen. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. That's known as the first and greatest commandment. And we find it again in the New Testament. The Lord Jesus Christ repeats that in Matthew. And so that's what I mean about these principles being all throughout the Bible. We find them and so we're able to use them. So I want to use those two verses, very short portion, to talk about the two points that I want to share with you in regards to the commitment of discipleship. The commitment of discipleship. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to uh, complete this phrase, the commitment of discipleship, and then we have two points. It's that easy. Okay? So point number one, the commitment of discipleship, number one, is to God. The commitment of biblical discipleship is to God. 
Now you might think like that sounds pretty easy. Is it? Exodus 20 verse 3, the first of the Ten Commandments says, You shall have no other gods before me, God says. First commandment of the ten that he gives uh, Moses up in Mount Sinai. He says, I am the only true God and thus the only one that you should worship, love, obey. So our commitment, listen to this, is not to any religion so important Out of over 7 billion people in this planet, I dare say the great, great, great majority of those people, when it comes to their faith, they are devoted and committed to a religion instead of being committed to the one true God. Now, We're not preaching to the 7 billion people out there. We're preaching to you. And hopefully God is ministering to you and to me or anybody who hears this message. And so I want to make sure that we understand that our commitment is not to any man-made religion. I'm grateful that we are a non-denominational church, congregation. We're able to rely on the Holy Spirit and the Word of God as the ultimate authority for what we believe, what we teach, and how we live our lives. It's also, our commitment is also not to any person. Never is it to any person outside of Christ, of course. And so if you ever find yourself committed to or doing things because of this one person or that one individual or, you know, as nice, as quote-unquote good, godly, correct, moral, ethical, intelligent, wise person as that may be, never should your commitment be to any person outside of Christ. And I say that for good reason, of course, because so many people believe what they believe, not because they've investigated, searched out the scriptures and come to their own conclusions, but because they've heard somebody else teach it. And I'll say it again. You're under no obligation to ever believe anything that comes out of my mouth other than what comes out of my mouth based on the scriptures and the authority that it has. I have no authority as a pastor of Crosspoint Christian Church, not now. And if the Lord wills, if I get to preach here for 50 years, that would make me really old. But even then, I would have no authority of my own. And thus, you would have no obligation to be committed to me. Your obligation is to be committed to God and God alone. No one person. You're not committed, you should not be committed to any church. Hey, I love Cross Point Christian Church, I'll say it. And my devotion and commitment to God at this time tells me that my commitment is here. That I am to devote myself to serving here. Out of my commitment to God, I believe He has directed me here. He has me here. And He has a plan for me here and work for me to do here. But my devotion is not to the church. It's to Christ, to my God and my Savior. But in my devotion to Him, I believe He has me here for a reason. And I believe 
if you come to Crosspoint, if you're a member of Crosspoint, if you attend Crosspoint regularly and you believe and you come because you believe this is where God has you, then we should be committed and devote ourselves and give to the church and serve at this church and bless this church out of our commitment to Him. Not to any moral code, not to this world. Our commitment is not to this world, no moral code. Our commitment is not to our flesh, because if we commit ourselves to the flesh, we will reap death, and not to ourselves. And I would say this, we should not be committed to ourselves. It's probably the most dangerous because many of us are committed to ourselves. What does that mean? We do whatever we want. We don't acknowledge God. We don't do things because we believe God is leading us to do that. We do it out of selfish ambition, perhaps. We do it out of our notion that what we think and what we will decide is the best for me based on looking at my circumstances and making my calculations rather than relying on God. And I know it's not easy to rely on Him in making certain decisions, but you know if you're committed to to Christ, to following Him and biblical discipleship, or if you're committed to yourself. 2 Corinthians 5.15 says, And He, Christ, died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for Him who died for them and rose again. There's that commitment to live no longer for ourselves, but to live for Him. Galatians 2.20 says something very similar. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. The commitment to God is to know Him, to love Him, to follow Him, to obey Him, to serve Him, to honor Him, to worship Him, to praise Him, to glorify Him from the time of our conversion and for all of eternity. Amen to that. That was point number one. The commitment of discipleship is to God and God only. Point number two, the commitment of discipleship needs to be total. Total commitment. 50% doesn't work. 80% doesn't work. 99% doesn't work. The Lord says anybody who puts their hand on the plow and turns back is not worthy to be my disciple. He says once you grab onto that plow, once you decide to follow me, it's forward and eyes on me all the time forever. And the idea of looking back is this sense of what is ahead may not be as good as what I'm leaving behind. Kind of like Lot's wife when Sodom and Gomorrah was being um, destroyed and they were commanded to run and don't look back. And Lot's wife, as she's fleeing, looks back. We don't know exactly why, but it, you know, part of it was, you know, I'm leaving my life behind. Kind of the reason why um, all these people were killed by God in the desert for complaining and wishing that, they, that God would have just left them in Egypt instead. 
that is in your heart and it is in my heart. This, you know, again, allowing Satan to cast doubt. Is God really worthy? Is God really that great? Is heaven going to be that that is, is there going to be good food up there? Is there going to be football? What? What are we talking about? Why are we not trusting when Paul says that he believes that the sufferings of this present age do not compare to the glory that will be revealed in us? But there we go, looking back. What are we missing out on? What am I, what am I regretting? What, what, what am I considering more valuable than that which is in front of me? And so the commitment needs to be total. Do I know anyone who is totally committed to Christ? I would say no. But that is the standard. That is the goal. That is what we are to be moving towards. That's why the Christian life should never be boring. The Christian life should never be a complacent one or a comfortable one, you know, a boring one. We should be actively seeking to be more like Christ. And that is more work that requires more effort than we have in this lifetime. But it's worth it. It's worth it. And so, it needs to be total. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. 37, I alluded to this in 38. Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. So when he says to love the Lord with all your heart, you know what all means? Yeah, you do. No exception. With everything, with 100% of your heart. That means there's no room for anything else. That is what God commands us to love Him. That's how He commands us to love Him. Completely, totally, with all your soul and with all your mind, with all your strength, with everything. With everything God is commanding for us to love Him. And if we do that, there is no room for anything else, and there will be any need to look back and see what we might be missing out on. Job 13.5, what does total commitment look like and sound like? I'll tell you. We read Philippians 1.21, that's a great verse. But Job chapter 13, verse 15 and I hope you know at least the basics about Job, but Job lost everything, including his, his wealth, his children, his health. And he had his wife, you know, advising him to curse God and die. And then he had his quote unquote friends come over and then start judging and condemning him and assuming that all this was falling upon him because of his sin and our repentance and arrogance and all that stuff. But listen to what Job says in the midst of those circumstances. He says, Though he, God, though he slay me, yet I will trust in him. What? He's saying, even if God kills me, I will trust in Him. That is total commitment. And I love that and I get emotional about that because it's beautiful. To be completely committed to God means no matter what happens, even if God Himself slays me, I will still trust in Him. 
because I know he's good and I know that his plan is better than anything that I could think of. I don't know if any of us are there, but we want to go towards that and we want to do it together. That's why we belong to a family. Total commitment. Joshua 1.7, Joshua is being given this task of taking over Moses' role in leading God's people, the Israelites, out of Egypt, through the wilderness, and into the promised land that was filled with all these various peoples. And their job was to go and conquer them and kick them out and annihilate them and, and, and take over the land. And this is the advice that God gives them. He says, only be strong and very courageous, that you may observe to do according to all that is in the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. The Lord said, once you put your hand on that plow, don't turn back. Here the Lord tells Joshua, I was going to call him Josh, Joshua, trust me, be courageous, stick to my word, and don't turn from it. Keep looking ahead, eyes on me, don't look to the left or to the right, and certainly don't look back, like all those other people that I killed over the last 40 years in the desert. Stay fast, be committed. Lest you think... That commitment is only for Christians. Think about Adam. Commitment. He requires total commitment. He says you can eat of all the trees, of the fruit of all the trees, except one. Because when you eat of that one, you will surely die. God requires total commitment. He tells him, don't eat from the one tree that I told you not to. I require a total commitment and devotion to me and obedience to me. He tells Noah, build me an ark that took him 120 years on dry land when it had never rained before. And if he didn't do that, he would have drowned with every other human being alive at that time. He, he was asking of Noah total commitment. Abraham, God tells him, get out of your land, out of your family, out of your father's house to a land that I will show you. He says, leave everything behind, which we know Abraham didn't. But the, but the call was to leave everything behind and go trust me, and I'm going to take you somewhere that you have no idea about, but I'm going to bless you. He requires total commitment. And then later on with Abraham, I'll mention this because I'm going to mention it at the end, when he has his son Isaac, the promised one, one day... Seemingly out of nowhere, God tells Abraham, take your son, your only son, Isaac, and sacrifice him unto me. Total commitment. We see our Lord Jesus Christ, total commitment. Leaves his glory on high and is born of the Virgin Mary as a baby. That he may live a perfect life and then offer it as a perfect sacrifice for you and I. Total commitment. The night when he was betrayed, he's at the garden and he's saying, Father, he's praying repeatedly, Father, if there's any other way to get this done and let this cup pass from me. But then he says, but I'm committed. 
And so, not my will, but yours be done. You see, the disciples were called to be committed, and most of them unto death, including the Apostle Paul. And then, here comes the church, you and I. We're being asked, commanded, to be totally committed to God. So my question to you would be, what is your Isaac? I got this from my wife this week. She had a Bible study and, and uh, she was eager to share this with me and how we all have idols and we all have things that we're clinging on to. And if God was to say, do you love me? Are you fully committed to me? I would venture to say that all of us have things in our lives, sin, that are sinful because we've made idols out of them. We are committed to those things. And God, if God was to say, give that up for me, what would you say? And it's a trick question because that's exactly what he tells you and me. You need to give that up. If it's a sin, get rid of it. You're valuing it more than I am. And you're valuing me, he would say. He would tell us, you know, that resentfulness, that resentment, that anger, that unforgiveness, that arrogance, that pride, that uh, sexually immoral sin that you're carrying around and somehow we have minimized it, we have learned to cope with it, or we have um, defended or rationalized it. God hasn't. And He would tell you, and He will tell me, and He does, in fact, say, anything that is not me, you need to get rid of in order that you would be committed fully unto me. And beloved, I know that's a deep question, and that's a hard question. But it's a question that we need to ask ourselves. What is my Isaac? What would I have a really hard time if God was to ask me to get rid of and give up to him? And in fact, that's exactly what he's doing. He wants anything and everything that is not him to be in its proper place. And that he would be the first and only thing that we are committed to in our lives. You know, baptism speaks of that. Baptism is a pledge and our commitment to live our lives for Him. And it pictures, as we're putting people underwater, the death and burial of the old self. And as we lift people from out of the water, it is a symbol of this new life out of our commitment to follow Him. And I would say, if you've not been baptized, we need to talk. If you know that God has done a work in your life, if through the scriptures and the gospel you have learned of your need of a Savior and you've understood that Jesus is the only one that can save you based on what He did for you at the cross out of love, and you've accepted that, you've repented, you've confessed your sin, you have turned to Christ and you've accepted His gift of salvation and forgiveness, you have accepted Him, you have received Him, you are a new creation. You need to be baptized. Reach out to me, would you? Crosspoint Mike at crosspointchristianchurch.com. I would love to hear from you. So, 
I have but two minutes to talk about the application. I told you this was going to be a very applicable message and, and here it is. I have seven things and we're going to do them quick that as a Christian, also known as a follower or a disciple of Jesus Christ, these things are key, fundamental for us to show and be involved in being committed to Christ our Lord. You need to be reading and studying the Bible. If somehow you have managed to be a Christian or claim to be a Christian, but Bible study and Bible reading is non-existing in your life, best case scenario, you're sinning. Worst case scenario, there is no new life, spiritual life, craving for and hungering for the spiritual food, and that's very problematic. You need to be involved in daily Bible reading and Bible studying. You need to be in constant prayer and communication with God, talking to Him in relationship. That's what He longs for. You need to be in fellowship with other believers. Let me say other disciples of Christ that look like what we've been talking about the last four weeks in our series. Not just quote-unquote Christians that when you get together with them, you just talk about the football game or your favorite basketball team or your favorite movie or your favorite whatever, nothing to do with Christ. I'm not saying they're not Christians, but they certainly aren't godly Christians. And if that's our typical conversations, then that is not biblical fellowship. So I'm saying find other people that are committed to Christ and grow together. And let me throw in this plug because we are currently working on uh, just about rolling out our growth groups. That's what the growth groups are for. Give you an opportunity to connect with people, make friends with other people that are committed to growing in small groups, to be more like Christ, to grow in discipleship. And um, tomorrow we have a growth group leaders, uh, sorry, on Saturday we have a, oh, let's see, yesterday, uh-oh. Uh, we're meeting with the leaders, growth group leaders. We're gonna be making signups available in a couple of weeks for two weeks, in about a week for two weeks for you to sign up. We're hoping for 80% of at least, I want 100%, of course, of you to sign up to a small group. And then we, mid-February, hope to start our small groups sessions, most likely online because of what's happening with COVID. So fellowship with other disciples of Christ, not just so-called Christians. Attend church faithfully. Not once in a while when all circumstances are okay and the weather's right and I feel 100% and... and no, be committed to coming to church. Do not neglect the assembling of ourselves together. You need to be at church. And I love what David said last week. When we consider Jesus Christ high in His throne and His worthiness, don't get here late. Don't come every once in a while. Be committed. Show that you are committed and you value Christ. Please consider that. It's a new year. And God always gives us an opportunity to turn from, from our sin and our weaknesses and start doing things right. And I don't say this out of condemnation because I've had issues since I was young with being on time and punctuality. And I hate that about me. I don't know. 
Is that my thorn in the flesh? I'm sure there's other worse stuff, but that's a problem. So I'm not saying that of condemnation or judgmental, being judgmental. But let's show that Christ is important, that He's valuable in our lives. And attending church regularly, not once or twice or three times. I went to church three times this month. You should be at church no matter what, with a few exceptions, especially COVID. Let me say this really quick. Next week, the 24th, we hope to have in-person services once again. But if you have cold symptoms, flu-like symptoms, even if you're sure that you don't have COVID, stay home out of consideration, please. And if you've been exposed to someone with COVID, stay home. You got to isolate for 10 days. Don't, don't um, risk coming here just because you feel fine. Let's be sensible and considerate and loving towards one another. But aside from that, I expect to see you next week. Did you know that we have over 200 people as part of Crosspoint? And the most we've ever had on a Sunday morning is 129. And then we usually average about 80. Where's everybody else at? There's, there's very few people that are committed to coming to church every Sunday. I find that problematic. Be consistent and committed to coming to church. Get here in time. Serve here. Get here early. Be part of the solution and part of God's family and what He's doing here at Crosspoint. I encourage you to do that. Serve. Serve God. Worship God. Give unto God in a way that is sacrificial and consistent to, to what he is worth to you. And share God's love through the, gospel, through the gospel and through good works with people around you. I'm running late, so I got to stop there. But I gave you the seven things that are super practical, things that we can work on. Again, if I can help with anything or we can help as a church with anything, reach out to us through crosspointchristianchurch.com. I hope you're blessed. I hope you're encouraged and challenged. Let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you so much again for allowing us this time. Thank you for your word and thank you for this message. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would teach us, lead us, transform us, guide us, give us wisdom, give us humility in order that we would be fully committed disciples of you, Lord Jesus Christ. It is in your name we pray. Amen. Um, I have communion to do. Right, So, as we wrap up here, and though we're not together physically, I'm going to, if you're prepared, to take communion with you. And, and the thought that I wanted to share with you is from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Because we're starting a new year and time is going by, verse 26 says, Paul says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till He comes. And I just want to plant this seed. The Lord is coming back for His church. I don't know if it's today, tomorrow, next year, or 20 years from now. But He's promised to come back. Or we will meet Him first. The point is, as we start a new year, and every time we celebrate the communion and take part of this, we proclaim His death for us until He returns. And every time we celebrate it, it's one week closer to His return. So let's take that together. And the juice 
represents the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross of Calvary for your sins and mine, which enable us to have an opportunity to be His disciples and be fully committed to Him. Let's take that together. Thank you, Father, for allowing us to celebrate communion and remember the Lord's death. We praise you, we love you, and we can't wait for His return. We pray in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. God bless you. Till next time.